Hello, and last week I spoke to you about 12 idioms that I found were used commonly at B2 level, and I explained six of those idioms, and I told you a couple of stories, and this week I'm going to explain the other six idioms at B2 level, and I'll tell you a couple of stories, and you have to listen carefully where there is a blank, a space, and you have to find out which idiom is used in the space. Okay, so there's a B2 level podcast. Here we go. Hello and welcome to Practicing English. My name is Mike Bilber and these are podcasts for students of English at B1 or B2 levels. And if you are a B1 level student trying to reach B2 level, then I recommend my book, The Tudor Conspiracy. Come over to practicingenglish.com and you'll see a picture of the front cover. Click on that and it will take you to the page where you can buy the book. Now, the first idiom is to have an eye for something. Have an eye for something. And eye here is spelt E-Y-E. And if you have an eye for something, it means that you are particularly good at seeing some things. For example, if you have an eye for fashion, it means you recognize clothes which are fashionable, clothes which are in fashion. You recognize clothes which are tasteful and that people will like. To have an eye for fashion. To have an eye for detail means that when you do something, you do it in a detailed way, in a very careful way. For example, maybe you're setting a table for Christmas lunch and you add some little touches, like, for example, some little flowers or the way you put the knives and forks on the table, you do it in a very accurate and precise way because you have an eye for detail. The next idiom also has the word eye in it, and that's to, well, you can't keep your eyes off something or somebody, or you can't take your eyes off somebody or something. So, what it is, if something is very attractive, well, you like to look at it. For example, maybe there is something that you want to buy, and you see it in the shop, and it looks very attractive. Maybe an article of clothing. And every time you go past the shop, you can't keep your eyes off it. You can't keep your eyes off it. Perhaps if you like somebody... A person, you think he or she is very attractive. We say, 
You can't keep your eyes off her or off him. Every time they walk past, you look at them. And my third idiom is to look somebody in the eye. To look somebody in the eye, again, E-Y-E. You look somebody in the eye in certain moments where you are trying to say something which is important and you want that person to listen to you and pay attention to what you're saying and so you look them in the eye. And my fourth idiom, well, it's nothing to do with eyes, it's about cake, C-A-K-E, and it's to be a piece of cake. And if something is a piece of cake, it's very easy to do. Some task that you find particularly easy. It could be mathematics, calculation, that you find particularly easy. Some people might find it difficult. But you say, huh, that's a piece of cake. A piece of cake is very easy. Then the next one is about breath, the word breath, B-R-E-A-T-H, which is from the verb to breathe. And the idiom is, take your breath away. And when something takes your breath away, it is because you think something that you look at is so marvellous, so wonderful, so fantastic, that you go, Ah, like that. It takes your breath away. It may be scenery, some beautiful scenery, mountains, for example, the Alps in Switzerland, snow-capped, beautiful scenery, so beautiful, it takes your breath away when you look at it. And the last one, idiom number six, is to cross your mind. Well, If something crosses your mind, it's to do with thinking. And we talk about an idea crosses your mind, and that simply means that some idea occurs to you. It comes to mind. An example might be, you're planning a weekend away. While you're planning that weekend away, it crosses your mind that you can't actually go away that weekend because you have some work that you have to do and you'll have to stay at home. Ah, it crossed my mind that I had to stay at home so we couldn't go away. Okay, those are the six idioms. I'm going to read you two stories. And as I did last time, when you hear, when you hear this sound... Well, that is where you should insert the idiom. Now, the first story, the same idiom occurs twice in the story. So when you hear the sound, that little bit of music, well, then that's where you should say the idiom. Here is the first story. It's called Addiction. Where is it, John? I want it back now. 
John's father, spoke severely and held out his hand. Don't just stand there pretending you don't know. I want my mobile phone back now, and I mean it. I haven't got it, Dad, John said weakly. I haven't got it, and I don't know where it is. At just 14 years of age, John just didn't have enough confidence in himself to be able to lie convincingly. He looked down at the floor, or to one side or to the other. He just couldn't stand up straight and look his father. His father was furious, and he looked hard at John. I'm not going to play any more of your silly games, son. Give me the phone now, or you'll be punished. It's not your property, and I want it back now. He was now breathing hard. John wondered if he would get violent. His father had never hit or slapped him before, but events in their lives were now changing, and his father's moods were more and more extreme. John's body trembled when he spoke the following words. Mum doesn't want you to have it, Dad. She said it's destroying you. It's destroying our family. That's why she left yesterday. You, You shouldn't have the mobile phone, Dad. Tears began to roll down John's cheeks. John's father became less sure of himself. He looked away. Now it was he who couldn't look his son. That's none of your business, son. Just give me the phone back. There's there's nothing wrong with me. Yes, there is, Dad. And you know it. John felt more in control now. He was defending the family. Now his mother wasn't here. All that betting. You can't stop, can you, Dad? You keep betting and losing. You're spending the family money. We'll be poor, Dad. You can't go on like this. Okay, and now here's my second story. It's a longer story, and there's just one space where you need to insert one of those six idioms when you hear the music. The story is called The Mysteries of the Universe. Max Headroom spaceship began to slow down as it reached the end of the wormhole. Max had never been so far from his home planet before. However, what was incredible was that he had only been in space for about 24 hours, and yet he was now close to the centre of the galaxy. Max had discovered the entrance to the wormhole close to the planet Jupiter, It had been an accidental discovery. He had detected it first of all on his ship's instrument panel, 
an area of space that was not included on his map, and when he had approached to investigate, he saw the revolving bright ring of material and a dark opening in the middle. It couldn't have been a black hole because there was no force attracting his ship towards it. Instead, it just existed there, like an open door, welcoming a traveller to enter. There was a lot of the explorer and adventurer in Max, and he very much wanted to point his ship towards it and pass through the revolving material and go inside the blackness to find out what would happen. Space travellers had often spoken about wormholes in conversations on the space travellers' social networks. Apparently, millions of years ago, some believed, an ancient civilization had constructed them to travel about the galaxy easily and in a much shorter amount of time. It seemed that travelling faster than the speed of light had always been impossible for mankind. This meant that to reach the galaxy centre would take at least 26,000 years. So, the tunnels had been built to reduce those impossible travel times. Those ancient beings had managed to construct them by somehow bending space to reduce the enormous distance involved. It was a bit like reducing the distance between the top and bottom of a sheet of paper by folding the ends together so they touched. However, Max thought twice before entering the wormhole. He thought of his promise to his wife, Sheena. They were now back together again at last, but on the condition that Max only took his spaceship no more than once a month on a weekend trip. So, what would happen if he flew his spaceship into this unknown space? Would he ever come back? Sheena had gone to the doctors on that same Saturday morning by herself for a checkup to see how the baby was coming along. She'd sent a message to Max on his spaceship, but Max hadn't even opened it yet. The excitement of the mystery of what existed beyond the tunnel entrance was too much for Max, and he manoeuvred his ship into the ring of bright material. The journey through the wormhole was noisy, and the ship shook violently. Max was worried. Would the ship stay in one piece? Perhaps it would break up. It was not the most reliable spaceship. In fact, he had bought it second-hand, and had not had it serviced at the garage for over a year. The journey took several hours, and then the noise and the shaking suddenly stopped. Max glanced at his space map and noted his location. 
just five light years from the center of the galaxy. The sight before him was astonishing. Space was no longer black and empty. Instead, it was full of spheres, presumably planets of bright, beautiful colors. Some were tiny spots of light and others were enormous, colorful balls hanging majestically in space. Many of the planets had rings around them, like Saturn in our solar system, while others were not quite round but looked like shining rainbow-colored pears. In fact, the whole crowd of these magnificent, brightly colored objects reminded Max of a sort of celestial bowl of magical fruit. Max took as many pictures as he could and then knew he must leave as soon as possible. It was not easy to do because there was so much more to discover here, but he knew he had to make a U-turn and head back to the exit of the wormhole. Perhaps one day he could come back and explore this region more, but he now felt guilty about his wife and her visit to the doctors. He should have gone with her. Max forced himself to look away from the fascinating sight that no human being had ever seen before, and he turned the ship around. To distract his attention from the extraordinary view outside, he opened up the message he had received from Sheena. There was no text, which Max found strange at first, but then he noticed there was a video attached. He quickly opened it, hoping it would not be bad news. But what he saw was more beautiful and more extraordinary than anything he had seen that day. And when the video started to play, it... The video screen was nearly all black, but not quite. In the middle, there was a ring of bright lights. And when Max looked closely, he could make out the shape of a large head and a small body, looking as though they were floating in space. Occasionally, it moved, but very slightly. It was an ultrasound scan of his unborn child. An audio suddenly began to play. It was Sheena's voice. It's our son, Max. The doctor says he's healthy and doing well. Come back. We need you. If you come over to Practicing English, podcast 147, you'll find the answers to the mysterious idioms that were missing from the stories. Goodbye for now. Until next time. Thank you.